Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are. Thank you for joining this virtual special event live. And thank you for those of you who are watching this event recording. My name is Troels Wenzel. I'm the Minister Councillor for Agriculture, Fisheries and Food at the Embassy in Washington, D.C. And I'll be your host today. I would like to start thanking all of today's speakers for taking the time to join us on this important conversation and also thanking all of you who have joined us on various platforms and are listening in. We would very much like to hear from you in the audience and to participate in the Q&A session that will follow the rapid fire presentations. Please submit your questions on ifprit.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using hashtag AskIfpri on Twitter. I would further like to thank our co-organizers, IFPRI, Champions 12.3, and World Resource Institute. Thank you so much for once again making it possible for all of us to home in on this very important issue of reducing food loss and waste. We have a busy schedule ahead of us today, but also in the greater scheme of things. So let's get started. The ongoing COVID-19 health crisis continues to expose vulnerabilities in food systems highlighting insecurity of rural livelihoods and the tragedy of food loss and waste, and the stark inequities in access to healthy food. The upcoming first ever UN Food Systems Summit later this year presents a unique opportunity to bring together stakeholders from across the food value chain to address these important questions, challenges, and unlock barriers to sustainable food system transformation. Absurd quantities of food are lost and wasted every day uh, around the world, where 7 million people go hungry every day. Drastic reduction of food loss and waste is therefore imperative and will be an essential part of the UN Food System Summit agenda. This policy seminar will serve as a platform to discuss actionable game-changing solutions to reduce food loss and waste on a global scale, the SDG 12.3 and provide input to the UN Food System Summit agenda. Build around the Champions 12.3 initiative and the technical platform for measurement of reduction of food loss and waste. Today's conversation will be held fittingly on March 12, 12.3. And so today our first speaker will be Dr. Johan Swinen, the General Director from IFPRI. He will set the stage and then we are honored by two excellent keynote speakers and leaders in this field, Dr. Kalibata, the Special Envoy for the UN Food System Summit, and from Denmark, the Minister for Food, Agriculture and Fisheries, Minister Prane, is also an SDG champion 12.3 and host of the annual World Food Summit in Copenhagen. Then we will hear four rapid fire presentations where innovation, action and policy meets. We will hear from Mr. Nameka, CEO of Cold Tops in Nigeria, uh, Ms. Jessica Vieira of Appeal, Mr. Richard Swannell, Director of RAP Global, and finally, Maximo Torero, Chief Economist at FAO. After the short presentations, there will be a Q&A session, and the event is rounded off by Craig Hansen from World Resource Institute. But before handing the floor to the first keynote speaker, Mrs. Kalibata, I would welcome Dr. Johan Swinen, Director General of IFPRI. Johan, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Charles. Um, good morning, uh, good afternoon, good evening to everybody. 
I'm uh, delighted to uh, be invited to open, say a few opening words of this uh, event. Uh, dear Dr. Kalibata, dear Minister Prain, we are really excited and uh, honored to have you with us today, as well as uh, an, an exciting panel of, of uh, people who will speak today. So I, I definitely want to start by congratulating Rob Voss and, and Truls Venselt for putting together this uh, fantastic program. I should say this, is, uh, this event is co-organized with the Embassy of Denmark and the World Resources Institute and the Champions 12.3 uh, group. <clears throat> I am delighted to be part of the Champions 12.3 and Craig Hansen, who will uh, talk at the end of the event here, is a very prominent member of and co-organizer of this organization. The, obviously, today's event is leading into the upcoming uh, United uh, United Nations Food Systems Summit, where Truls already referred to and more speakers will refer to, I think. And this, of course, is a unique opportunity in history to address these complex and existentialist challenges to our food system. And so for also for that reason, we're really excited to have uh, Agnes with us, Agnes Kalibata. The issue of food loss and waste is, is quite well known in general, but there are still quite a bit of uncertainties. And so I think some of these will be uh, addressed today. Um, the challenges are obviously immense. Okay, We know that the world is off track for reaching key objectives in, in, in terms of reducing hunger and malnutrition. Uh, since 2015, actually, hunger is on the rise again. We also know that billions of people, 3 billion roughly, uh, cannot afford nutrition-adequate foods. We know that the food system is, as a whole is consuming uh, a large share of the global energy and uh, contributing a large share of global greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a number of reasons for that uh, uh, related to, for example, declining economic growth, climate change, conflicts, uh, dis uh, displaced persons, etc. But all this was already before COVID-19. And so COVID clearly has exacerbated all these problems. But I think also what we've learned from COVID, there are opportunities. I think COVID has provided lessons in the uh, innovations uh, that are introduced by in the private sector, in the public sector, throughout our food system. There's been a lot of creative thinking going on. And I think, again, I think what I, what I for me, is one of the inspirational things is that that has gone on throughout the world in terms of, in the sense of the private sector, NGOs, farmer cooperatives, public sector initiatives, et cetera, and really thinking, leading us to think outside the box. And I think that is, should help us, should also stimulate us to apply that kind of thinking, that kind of innovative innovations in the broad sense to apply that of the problems of reducing food loss and waste. There, I think the challenges are immense, but again, we should look for the opportunities of doing much better. Um, IFPRI and our partners have been working on this for quite a while, particularly, I mean, our joint work with FAO has uh, is leading, I think, to important new contributions. Um, at, there's a number of the 30% food loss and waste, which is often cited, is a number of FAO. There's a number of new studies, for example, by FAO and by uh, UNEP, um, which are qualifying these numbers, not necessarily showing that the impact is, is the problem is less, but providing more information on uh, with improved measurement methods on that it's not only an issue of, of, of quantity, but also of quality. And of course, quality is important when we think about nutrition, for example, and health. Also, where exactly is most of the loss and the waste occurring? In which countries is it mostly occurring? And etc. And this is, of course, important if we want to identify solutions. 
And so we really hope that we can contribute to uh, identifying some of the trade-offs in the systems in terms of policy interventions and provide evidence-based information based on, on our research and analysis, which we really hope to continue and to enhance even going forward, also together with, uh, for example, our, our friend and colleague Maximo Torreiro of FAO is also on the panel today. And Rob and, and Maximo have jointly edited a special issue of food policy which just came out last year. So in all of this, I, we have an, as I said, we have a fantastic panel, so I'm not going to take up more time. It is clear, I think, that one of the conclusions from these new studies are that food loss and weight is a problem which is permeating throughout the value chain from the, 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 all the way upstream to all the way downstream. And that means we need to look at the problem as a food systems problem. And therefore, I think it fits uh, perfectly well and, and in the food systems uh, summit going forward and all the activities leading up to the food uh, system summit so which can hopefully provide a great opportunity for leveraging uh, this for the transformant moment in, in food system history I want to say so with that let me turn it over to um, the keynote speakers and then to the panels back to you Charles. Thank you so much Johan for setting the stage so vividly for us and for highlighting the importance of food loss and waste production in the broader context of the food system transformation. And now to our first keynote speaker of the day, Dr. Agnes Kalibata, Special Envoy for the UN Food System Summit. We are very pleased and honored that you have taken the time to address us here today. Ms. Kalibata, the floor is yours. Thank you, Moderita, and um, <clears throat> thank you, Johan, uh, for the introductory remarks that you provided. So Excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, it's my honor to be here today. I'm really grateful that the community uh, with the leadership of IFPRI, uh, the government of Denmark, World Resource Institute, and the champions uh, of 12.3, uh, the 12.3 initiatives have, have thought about putting this summit together, I mean this uh, meeting together, in support of the Food System Summit. This is the type of conversation that is extremely important to highlighting the issues that are at stake that we must take forward. I'm going to briefly really give you a brief sense of where the summit is at and what is at stake here, and then uh, go into a little bit of, of what, is, what is being discussed today. The Food System Summit was launched in 2019. We spent the whole, most of 2020 really um, trying to set up uh, what the, the summit process might look like. But when the Secretary General called for the Food System Summit, he was concerned that we are off track on a number of the SDGs, like you said, Johan Hunger has been increasing for the last six years in a, in a row. And a number of other indicators are off track. And in addition to all that, we are contributing to emissions. We are wasting so much food as well, which, which we are going to go into, into today. So there's so much that is at stake. But one of the other things that the Secretary General recognized, he also thought that the food system does provide many solutions and there's a lot of scientific evidence around how the food system itself is part of the solution. And he really wanted us to dive into what it might look like to use the food systems as a solution to turn the corner from having a food system be part of the problem of, that we are facing today, of the problems we are facing today, but really be part of the solutions of where we are going. <clears throat> so that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was one of the key critical things that he, he was interested in. Then the other thing that he was interested in that we have put a lot of emphasis is uh, this being a UN summit, 
is really to get buy-in. Being, a, a, first of all, an SDGs summit, it has no negotiated ground. We are not trying to negotiate anything. We are anchoring it in SDGs, and that's extremely important. Uh, because he's he's worried about you know uh, the time and the, first of all that we are not on on track, but also to just find ways of injecting energy into something the world has already agreed on, which is the SDGs. So again, so he, he said, take it to people and make sure that you have a conversation that encourages everybody out there to engage, change the understanding, the global discourse around how we see coming through on SDGs. <clears throat> the second bit was, <clears throat> excuse me, which speaks to some of the areas you've highlighted yourselves, come up with ambitious solutions to this, these problems, which goes back to how you're looking at food, food uh, loss and waste uh, from a game-changing idea perspective. So since then, we've put in, in place um, what we are calling food systems dialogues. Today, we have 60 countries have signed up for food systems dialogues. We hope that before the end of the year, we will have over 100 countries in food systems dialogues. And what does, this does is really recognizing that food systems are local, that countries have to sit and understand what is broken at that level, or what is the challenge at that level, at the country level, but also the opportunities that they are sitting amidst and that they would like to double down on to be able to come through on the number of areas that have been highlighted. We then put in place action tracks uh, action tracks being areas where we'll be looking at game-changing ideas. This week, in, in fact, uh, the, the action track leaders and many that are supporting them had an opportunity to sit <clears throat> and look through this first set of ideas that have come through. Over a thousand ideas were put forward from different parts of, of our constituencies, countries, private sector, civil society, and many places. And these ideas are being consolidated and put together, but also um, really looking for the common thread among them that will help us come through on, on a number of these things. We do have a champions network that recognizes that we can draw in too many more people by having a set of champions that we, we engage with and, and who then have an opportunity to engage their own networks. We do have a scientific uh, group of experts that is looking at the, the science behind um, the transition that must happen in the food system and that might, must guide or might guide uh, where we are going. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that Maximo is part of this, this group. Maximo is supporting us on the scientific group, um, supporting a lot of the work of the, of the scientific group. Um, I'm not going to go into the science and the, what is at stake here in terms of food loss and waste. You, you know it and you've said it and you have a lot of experts that are going to, to present against, uh, against this. Suffice it to say that we are losing over $1 trillion worth of, of resources every year, of money every year, and we are contributing 8% to emissions as a result of food loss and waste, so, which is huge. And many times, and again, if you have listened to me, you've probably heard this uh, several times. There's a part that comes from how we retail and consume and, 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 and really look at the whole food demand, which is really mostly something that is happening in more um, advanced communities. And there's a part that comes from just how the food gets to the table before the food gets to the table. There's so much waste that happens. In fact, uh, between the farm, the farm itself and, and, and really becoming uh, consumable food, what we are calling food, food waste at the farm level. 
So there's, there's lots of waste. Here in Africa, we talk about 40% of waste that is happening. And again, I'll try my best not to go into the numbers. But just think about it. One of the numbers that's stand, you know, that stuck in my mind as I was looking at this topic is 27 million tons of fish that get wasted every year. And, and amidst so much um, you know, malnutrition and, and, uh, and um, food that we could use, all 40% of food in Africa getting wasted and 250 million people in Africa not having enough. So really the, the statistics are staggering and the waste that is unbelievable. Things that stand out for me, again, when I look at from where we are, it's impacting our, our, our economies, it's impacting our livelihoods from a nutrition perspective, but it's also impacting our health. I mean, uh, when, when food is being wasted, for example, maize, um, groundnuts here in Africa, a lot of it also acquires a protoxin in, in the process. And this is become, becomes a challenge, uh, which when it gets consumed later, you know, this becomes a challenge to, to life as well. So you've talked about game-changing ideas and how that this might be seen. And before I go into those, and I'm, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but I just wanted to look at, for you to look, to understand how we are looking at food loss and waste from an action track perspective. In action track one, definitely, which is looking at um, safe and access to safe and nutritious food, we are looking at it from saving the 40% uh, that gets wasted in Africa, saving that in seven million tons of fish that get wasted every year. So, so versus the number of people that don't have access to food. In Action Track 2, the issue here that is being addressed is the whole idea of consumer behavior that impacts so much waste. Again, I always talk about the avocado and the amount of, of, of avocados that get lost when we go for that size 22 avocado, which is only 10% of the avocados that get produced, just because that's what retailers and consumers are telling us they want. So it takes 9,000 9, metric tons of water, right? It's metric cubes of water to, to, for, to get an avocado farm a hectare going. Just think how much water gets wasted while 90% of the avocados get left on the, on the farm. So, so much waste that sits amidst us. Action Track 3 looks at it from uh, the perspective of, um, of uh, emissions, the fact that we are contributing 8% to emissions. Now, to the game-changing ideas and the question th that many people are interested in that is at stake here. Wouldn't it be game-changing if we reduced waste to zero? <laughs> but the um, FAO tells me and some of our colleagues that we work with are telling me that reducing food waste to zero may not be desirable. But I know that uh, some of the conversations we've had with private sector partners has actually been looking at how they look at the risk to zero from a food waste perspective. The next one, which is probably my last, is what I've seen here in Africa where coalitions of partners get together and it distributes the cost of the waste, right? The cost of saving food, let's, let's call it the cost of saving food. They distribute the cost of saving food between many partners. So a farmer produces, for example, maize, and, and because it's so much cost for the farmer to save the 40%, the person who is purchasing the maize invests in, in reducing cost and sharing the, 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 that, the, that cost is distributed. So I've seen this with Africa Improved Food in Rwanda, where they've invested in dryers, which are given to, to, uh, to aggregators, which aggregators then buy the food, the, the maize straight from the farmer on its cobs, 
uh, ensure it's dried and passed on to Africa improved food. The farmer is paid, the aggregator is paid, and Africa improved food gets very good harvest that, that reduces, reduces waste. And the, the, the remaining cobs and waste is, goes back to the farm uh, to be part of regenerative agriculture. So there are opportunities that we can think of. I, I, there's so much that is happening in action trucks. I, I didn't give those as examples. I'm giving examples from my own experience just to, to, to not uh, preempt the work that is happening in, in, in action trucks. So I will, I will end there recognizing the time constraints on, us, on, on all of us, but really thanking you again and encouraging you to continue to double down and, and really help us ensure that this food system summit becomes a turning point in the work that we are doing. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Dr. Kalibata, for your inspiring remarks. Um, it's staggering numbers that you are presenting, but. It seems there's also some innovations and some positive elements, and we hope we can uh, further discuss that later. We understand that you have a very busy schedule today, and therefore, unfortunately, you cannot stay with us for the entire event. Uh, but before you leave us, I know our next keynote speaker, Minister Prane, would like to comment on your remarks and, and ask a question. Minister Prane, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, uh, Trolls, and thank you so much uh, also to Dr. Agnes Kalibata for a very enlightening uh, speech. I'm looking very much forward to welcome you to the annual World Food Summit in April, where uh, prevention of food loss and waste also is on the agenda. In your opinion, what can individual leaders around the world do to accelerate the reduction of food loss and waste? And then another question. The recent UN Food Waste Index report uh, for 2021 uh, found that the amount of households food waste is about the same in high-income countries as in low-income countries. Does that surprise you? So thank you. Um, thank you, uh, Honorable Minister, for that, those two questions. Um, I would look at it from a perspective of what's already happening. There are a number of solutions, like I said from the beginning, that are already in our midst. And I think the question becomes whether we can scale some of these solutions and really take advantage of them. In terms of retailing, um, um, the, this food uh, that, that um, can be converted into other things, so that's probably number one, and, and ensure that that food doesn't really uh, become waste. But also there's a lot of people that can access food. So for example, in, uh, I've seen, if you're tracking what's happening post COVID, a lot of food banks are channeling food to ensure that um, this food becomes available to communities that, that, uh, that, um, that can't, can't get food otherwise. So I think what we need to do is to think about how we, we, we bring back food for ourselves. We recycle food for ourselves. There's an opportunity to recycle food for ourselves. Number one. Number two, I also think that we have to find peace with nature. We can't put such a high standard on food and, and then expect that the environment is going to, ha to, 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 to continue being able to, to handle those type of high standards that we are putting on. So uh, does that mean that we, we, we put less standard on health? No, but we have to find a balance between health, health and the quality of food that we are, we are eating or what we want the environment to be giving us as food. So that's number one. In terms of... Um, with the, the, the fact that the Northwest is near as much as, 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 as the South, if, if I might put it like that. The sources of waste are different. 
in the in the in the south on developing countries, most developing countries, the source of waste is mostly before the before uh, food gets out of the farm. Uh, so there's a whole lot of waste that is associated with harvest and all that, and and how food and the, the issue of quality and standards around food that leads to a whole lot of food waste. So there's a whole lot that we can do to improve the quality of food and standards uh, that, that can reduce its being wasted, um, especially the education and all that, in, especially in, in uh, uh, low to medium income countries. But there's also a whole lot of waste of food that happens in the, in the developed countries, mostly because of consumer behavior that has, has really gone out of uh, of touch with the realities of the environment. That's that's the way to put it very simply. We, we really have to be to be asking ourselves with, whether we can live with other beings besides besides ourselves and and and, and the demands that we present. So I think it the, the, then the, the solution really has to come from retailers, but also consumers themselves. And that's why from where I'm sitting, taking this summit to every individual you know, to, to help them understand the importance here. I compare it to switching off the light and turning off the water on your tap when you're brushing your teeth, remembering to turn off the... We, we've been educated about that since we were kids. <laughs> and, and that's important, an important part of life. So, life. so I think from a food perspective, it's also educating people and helping them understand that the choices we make as individuals impact other people and impact the environment. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kalibata, once again, for your inspiring remarks and for, for you for taking the time to, to be with us today. Um, so and now I would like to you know, give the floor back to Minister Prane, uh, the Minister for Food, Agriculture and Fisheries in Denmark. And as I mentioned in the beginning, also a champion, uh, 12.3. Minister Prane, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, uh, Tols. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you very much for inviting me today to speak to this webinar on food laws and waste. Today, the 12th of March, symbolizes Sustainable Development Goal 12.3, aimed to reducing global food waste. And it is my first opportunity to speak on this important topic as part of the Champions 12.3 Coalition. It is truly an honor. You are probably all familiar with the ambitious goal to halve the global food waste by 2030. Food waste is a major global challenge and with the arrival of COVID-19, the goal is more relevant than ever. The COVID-19 pandemic has challenged our way of living and it has underlined the importance of sustainable and well-functioning global food systems. The pandemic is putting further pressure on the global food supply chains and has led to challenge for our distribution channels, including in many developing countries. According to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, the extent of the waste has increased globally, among other things due to movement and transportation restrictions because of COVID-19. The pandemic also threatens the food security for even more millions of people who are starving and cannot afford a healthy diet. At the same time, we are still in the middle of a global climate, environmental and biodiversity crisis, which we have 
to act upon. It is a key priority for the Danish government to work towards creating safer, healthier, and more sustainable food systems in response to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. At this year's World Food Summit in Copenhagen, governments, businesses, organizations, academia, civil society, as well as the next generation of sustainable leaders will work together to define actions necessary to transform our food system. The World Food Summit and associated events will take place on April the 15 to 16. This time, it will focus on how to establish pathways for game-changing innovation necessary for sustainable food system transformation. The purpose is to contribute to a success of the UN Food System Summit that will take place in autumn of 2021. By providing input and showcasing examples that can lead to a more sustainable global food production. However, the current pandemic only emphasizes the underlying challenges still facing us, such as food loss and waste. Every year, one third of the total amount of food produced globally is either lost or wasted. This is truly heartbreaking. In total, that is 1.6 billion tons of food worth about 1.2 trillion US dollars or set. In another way, food loss and waste could feed many of the approximately 90 million hungry and malnourished children around the world. On top of that, food loss and food waste is responsible for 8% of the total emission of greenhouse gases. In Denmark, we have a great ambitions, not only for food waste, but also for the green agenda in general. My government has set an ambitious goal inscribed in law to reduce Danish greenhouse gas emission by 70% by 2030 compared to the 1990 level. In Denmark, a country 228 times smaller than the US, we know that around 4% of the total carbon emission is due to food loss and food waste. The challenge, challenge is enormous and therefore we need immediate action and collaboration across borders. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown us that we can defeat horrendous and overwhelming perspectives in a very fast pace if we set our minds to it. In Denmark, we have accelerated the journey. We have made it a national priority to prevent food loss and waste. Moreover, we make it a matter of the heart to commit and involve all stakeholders throughout the entire food value chain. From food companies and NGOs to research and governments, they have all joined forces in the search for innovative and effective solutions. You may have heard about the Danish think tank One Third, established in 2019. The think tank gathers stakeholders 
along the food value chain and aims to find, facilitate, and put in action food laws and waste reductive solution. The think tank aims to accelerate the link between knowledge and real action, mobilize companies to take greater social responsibility, and together with the rest of Denmark, it, re- it provides a test environment for food laws and waste interventions. This is a key example of the solid Danish public-private partnership. The Danish food companies are also working eagerly to to innovate and develop products and solutions to reduce food loss and waste throughout the food value chain. In Denmark, we would like to set an example and inspire others to action when it comes to green transition of the global food systems, including tackling the food loss and waste challenge. We see great opportunities to collaborate with the like-minded countries. Therefore, let's collaborate across nations so we can convert this global challenge into an opportunity together. Thank you very much indeed, and thank you for listening to uh, me and have a very good conference. Thank you so much, Minister Prane, for your insightful and inspiring remarks and for calls to action. And thank you so much for being with us here today. We are looking forward to the World Food Summit in April in Copenhagen and for the road ahead. Thank you so much, Minister. And before I hand the floor to Rob Voss, the moderator of the panel discussion in the Q&A session, I would like to remind the audience uh, that we would very much like to hear from you. And you can participate uh, with your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or use hashtag AskIfpre on Twitter. So Rob, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you very much, Truls. Um, it's my pleasure to be part of this uh, very interesting uh, session and to introduce to you the panelists that will give short interventions, particularly Um, picking up from some of the suggestions made, but uh, digging a bit deeper in practical, but at the same time, game-changing solutions that can help uh, reduce uh, food loss and waste along value chains. Um, We have a a very um, exciting panel, I would say. We have two practitioners who actually not just uh, propose solutions or um, think about them, but actually implement them. Uh, and then we have two um, people that, uh, two members of the panel that uh, are in the awareness raising, in influencing policymakers uh, in order to uh, implement uh, policies and actions uh, that uh, could lead to food loss and waste reduction. So we'll start with the practitioners first, and uh, we'll begin with Namika. Ikakwono, who is the social entrepreneur from Nigeria, and he runs the Cold Hubs, which is a business that operates solar-powered cooled storage facilities in Nigeria to help preserve perishable produce um, and through that uh, reduce food loss, preserve nutritional value of products and raise incomes for local farmers and traders. It will sound as music to your ears, but one of the game-changing proposals that are being uh, discussed uh, 
as part of the preparations for the UN Food Systems Summit, is to set up a multi-billion or maybe a one trillion dollar global investment mechanism to improve cold chains, farm technology, knowledge and loss reduction solutions. This obviously sounds like a meaningful proposal, but is scaling up an operation like Coal Pops a matter of making more investment finance available or what more would be needed to make um, uh, an investment uh, in the cold hubs, a nationwide operation and maybe a region-wide operation. Nueka, you have the floor. I mean, thank you very much, Rob, for the very kind introduction. I am honored to be here. And uh, I, I think really making more investment uh, financing available uh, for solar powered cold storage is really important because these are technologies that are actually helping at the moment to reduce food spoilage, uh, not only making this financing available at national, but also expanding these technologies like cold hubs uh, to regional and continental level at the moment, you know. But I think in addition to making uh, financing available for technology, uh, financing should also be made available for education to deepen the educational uh, uh, knowledge of the people, you know. Uh, having more uh, investment in education will actually change the mindset and also change traditional practices uh, as it being, uh, being obtainable today. You know, education to actually uh, teach farmers the best handling skills education uh, to teach them the importance of uh, 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 sorting, education to teach them the best practices in harvesting, uh, best practices in packaging, uh, make them understand the usefulness of uh, cooling, both at farm, on the road, and in outdoor food markets. And education to also make them to understand the nutritional and financial value of having high quality food available for sale. You know, smallholder farmers all across Africa are food producers, and they are the front line of uh, food, uh, having access to the food before it gets distributed to outdoor food market or supermarket, you know. So education is very critical as uh, technology is being advanced to reach them, you know. Having the right financing for education and technology, at our company Code Hubs, we have been able to reduce food spoilage significantly. And that is reducing food spoilage because we have access to uh, the right financing to deploy solar powered cold storage. In 2020 alone, we were able to save 42,000 tons of food from spoilage. This is the food that is typically thrown away by farmers, retailers, and wholesalers. In that same year, we were able to actually increase the income of 5,250 users from 60 US dollar to a minimum of 120 US dollar every month. With that financing, we were able to create 66 new jobs for women by hiring and training them as our hub operators and our market attendant overseeing the loading and offloading of food and collection of user fee. And with that financing, we were able to save more than 1 million tons of CO2 from the atmosphere by using exclusively solar energy to drive our cold storage all across the country. We have been able to deploy 54 cold rooms that are being used today by 5,250 smallholder farmers, retailers, and wholesalers of food. So I think this kind of impact that we have created should be amplified. And of course, financing is very essential to scale this kind of technologies that cold hubs bring, but more, that financing should not only be for technology adoption, 
part of the financing should also be used to upscale education so that the smallholder farmers who we have in Africa can also adopt best practices. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Namika. It's a very uh, impressive achievement you already have there. And uh, uh, let me also mention that uh, IFPRI has been uh, studying a little bit the, the, uh, the, um, the, the program of the cold hubs that you've developed uh, and uh, to look at its impact. And what you made clear is that uh, it's just a matter of putting uh, new technology in place, but uh, you need a lot of other factors to cooperate and complement uh, these kind of investments. But I think the, the achievements are very visible and tangible. Um, and so it looks like a very good solution that should be promoted also as part of the uh, UN Food Summit uh, Action Agenda. Um, later, let me now turn to Jessica Vieira, who's um, of appeal a very appealing name for a company that's promoting uh, innovative solutions to develop a more resilient food system, including edible coatings to extend the shelf life of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables uh, so they can last uh, much longer, maybe up to twice as long. So Jessica, could you tell us a bit more about how Appeal's products and processes are helping reducing food loss and waste? And what is needed to scale up these uh, types of solutions, especially in developing countries? And that said, couldn't this also be one of the game-changing solutions for the UN Summit? Well, we, we sure hope so. Um, and thank you for, for inviting me here today, Rob. Um, the, as you mentioned, Appeal is really focused on developing a more resilient and participatory food system. Um, we've done this through the development and commercialization of edible coatings that are plant-derived and applied to fresh fruits and vegetables after they're harvested. Um, once this product is applied, it allows the produce to last, as you mentioned, twice as long. Um, the product is made of ingredients that are already in the fruits and vegetables that we consume, lipids and glycerolipids, and essentially it creates a very thin barrier around the produce, similar to a, a regular peel on a fruit or vegetable that slows down the amount, the rate that which water leaves the fruit and oxygen gets in. So the primary causes of spoilage, water loss and oxidation. So far we've managed to, to commercialize products for avocados, um, mandarins, oranges, limes, and apples uh, with more to come this year and beyond. Um, to do this, we've partnered with produce suppliers in South America, the US and the EU, as well as some importers. Um, one of our largest import partners is Nature's Pride based in the Netherlands. And we also partner with retailers um, who see a lot of value from an economic and environmental standpoint with our product. Um, so some of our largest retailers here in the US are Kroger um, and in the EU are Etica and Colroot. Um, many of our retail partners across produce categories have seen their waste within the stores actually cut in half um, with the shelf life extension enabled by our product. And we do have a consumer facing brand. So the, the earlier point about really engaging consumers and creating choices um, for them that allow them to also reduce food waste um, and have more sustainable options is, is part of our, our company's mission as well. Um, but we're really just scratching the surface with what this product can do from a food security and environmental standpoint. 
um, by reducing waste at retail and, and in consumers' homes. Because this product is really an end-to-end -end solution. Once it's applied onto the produce, it stays with it for the rest of the produce's life, which is pretty different than many of the solutions that we've used to extend shelf life today, which typically just focus on one stage of the supply chain. Um, and so even you know, applying this product early on, allowing more time even for suppliers to find customers for those different sizes of produce that might not be as valuable, um, something that was mentioned um, in the earlier keynote. But as we look towards developing countries, which is a big focus for us um, starting very recently, we see very different challenges and opportunities for the appeal, for the appeal product. Um, it's a common misconception, I think, that, that people are going hungry because they can't grow food. Um, we, we actually view it more as the challenge being an intermittent supply um, and the, the challenge or inability to convert what's really a perishable asset into a non-perishable asset or money through trade. Um, and this lack of market access has income implications which relate to food security, um, but also are what result in a large portion of food loss earlier in the supply chain. Um, so we're, we're very excited to, to focus on the expansion of our product in these markets where applying our product as early as possible can then increase that access to a market and the ability to trade. And in order to do this, um, we've, we've recently at the end of last year announced a large partnership with the IFC um, and an investment that's really accelerating our expansion into these markets, not just with funding, but also with partnership. You know, it's operating in a new region with a new technology. Um, there's a significant amount of product development, market development, understanding of those local challenges and what really is broken. And so partnering with the IFC, we've identified you know, specific project areas in Latin America, as well as in Africa that we're focusing on building out an implementation for and will be you know, really kicking off this year. Um, so we're, we're very excited about this. I think the financing piece, the training piece, which will be part of this implementation plan are key components of this partnership. Um, and it's really brought us full circle as an organization. We actually started nine years ago with a, a, a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that allowed us to do product development um, in Africa. But it has taken time for, you know, for us to obtain regulatory approvals to get our business up to a scale where we can start to operationalize this. And we're, we're really excited about you know, what, what the future is going to look like. Thank you so much, uh, Jessica. That is a really appealing type of solution, I would say. And uh, and also, if uh, I used to think when I saw all these nice and shining apples in the supermarket, I thought, well, that's they're fake, right? But it seems to be it could be well part of a sustainable and healthy solution, uh, uh, not just. Uh, for bringing food to people, but also to reduce uh, food loss and waste because it, uh, it preserves the produce uh, so much longer. So that's that. Uh, let's turn to Richard uh, Swannel. We're very happy to have uh, him on the panel. Uh, Richard is part of RAP, which is one of the uh, leading uh, awareness uh, raising agencies, I would say, in the world and try trying to focus people on the problem of uh, food loss and waste reduction. 
Um, Richard, to represent uh, quite a few uh, possible game-changing solution under Action Track 2 for the UN Food System Summit. A couple of them include uh, mandatory segregation of food waste by businesses and households uh, to, to show how big the, um, the problem uh, is, but also to separate the collection of food from processing into uh, better and higher value-added products. We also propose to provide more incentives for food donations that could ensure cheaper. it is cheaper to donate food than to discard it, uh, as well as mandatory measurement of food waste by businesses, showing businesses uh, how much food they are actually wasting and focusing on food loss and waste. Um, could you say in more concrete terms um, what's behind these proposals, maybe also the broader uh, proposals that you're behind the 150 times 50 times 30 uh, action proposal and what you see as the possible obstacles to getting these adopted and brought to scale uh, in uh, different parts of the world. Richard, over to you. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you very much for that kind introduction and the opportunity to speak to you all today. Yeah, I'm going to speak about three game changes that uh, Rob's just summarised. And these are all being produced as part of Action Track 2 in preparation for the UN Food Systems Summit, particularly the food waste work stream. The core group that developed these were WRI, WWF, uh, UNEP, World Bank uh, and RAP. And it's chaired by Liz Goodwin from WRI and Yolanda Kakabatse from WWF. And a long list of game changes were generated in the first instance from public forums, from literature reviews, from dialogues, from what's been proven to work around the world consultations and online surveys. And amazingly, 400 game changes were received and this was honed down by using the following criteria. The impact, how much impact the game changer could have globally, how easy it could be actioned, its actionability, how easy it could be scaled across the world, and of course, how much it, how much it delivers on a sustainability agenda, how much it contributes towards 12.3 and the wider implementation of the SDGs. And those 400 have been reduced to 17 for the whole of Action Track 2 at the moment, um, but three specifically uh, were tackling uh, food waste. And those I'm going to speak about now. So the first of these actually, uh, as, as Rob mentioned, is called um, 150 do 50 by 30. And what that means is 150 countries launch national public private partnerships and campaigns to reduce their food loss and waste by 50% by 2030. And key features of this is developing a national food loss and waste strategy, a reduction strategy, and a roadmap towards halving by 2030, launching behavior change campaigns to encourage consumer food waste reduction, um, and because that's one of the areas where there's a significant amount of food waste, not just in rich countries, but as the, the Food Waste Index report from UNEP showed, right across the world. And get food companies to join public-private partnership and focus on delivering the 12.3 target using the target measure act approach, confirming uh, they'll deliver 12.3, uh, measuring food waste operationally, and then acting on those measurements, and then working with their suppliers to help them measure and act, and indeed also helping their customers reduce food, food waste as well. And then monitor progress and adjust the program to, to make sure it's on track to deliver. And this approach can really work. As we've already heard from Minister Prem, this has been used in Denmark. It's also done in Norway, in the USA, in Netherlands, and in the UK, and in the UK, it's helped deliver a 27% reduction already between farm and household. So this approach can indeed work. 
The second approach is, is encouraging grassroots action. And I'd see this very much as being a, a, a grassroots in bottom up approach. It's, it's getting a global network of motivated people who understand food waste issues and know what needs to be done and empowering them to drive change. So these are culturally relevant behavior change campaigns which uh, come through from citizens using a toolbox of tried and tested approaches to help actually assist in consumer behavior change and critically get across the value of food and making sure people really understand where their food comes from and why it's crucial not to throw it away and then leveraging social media to get the, um, uh, to get the, uh, the, the, the notion out there. So fundamentally, this is building a bottom-up momentum for change. And the third area is called food is never waste. And this brings together proven policy interventions, Rob, that you've already mentioned, with new technology to ensure no food is wasted to landfill and deliver a circular economy in food. And this brings together policy interventions used in a number of countries, such as mandatory segregation of food waste by businesses and people, because if you see how much you waste, you can then act upon it incentives to encourage food donation and get more surplus to those who need it, mandatory measurement of food waste in businesses because once you measure, you then act, and then taxing or banning landfill or incineration of food waste so we make sure it stays within the economy and used safely and positively, and incentivizing the use of food loss and waste as a feedstock for added value products. So for example, using as a feedstock for black soldier fly larvae, which can then be safely converted into animal feed, for example, chicken feed or fish feed, and therefore get it back into productive use. So these, these are ideas that have been used in many countries and bringing them together could be a very game-changing approach. And so to finish, I think that as Minister Rem has already said, the key thing for us all is to prioritize food loss and waste reduction. And those game changers, I hope, can help us work out how to do those specifically. But crucially, I think the critical thing is we've got to unite in the food waste fight. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you very much, Richard. So it's very clear and it's also a good call on everybody. So it's, it's, it's not just about new technologies, but it's raising awareness and getting behavioral change um, um, uh, with it. Um, uh, before I give the, the floor to our uh, final uh, panelists, uh, um, I would like to remind you that um, you can submit your uh, questions on the various platforms uh, through ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, or whatever the platform is using. And you can also use it on Twitter using hashtag AskIFPRI uh, for your questions. And no doubt you have many. And also after this panel, we'll uh, do a little poll to get you involved uh, as uh, audience in what you see as uh, key priorities for food loss and uh, waste reduction, and then have the panelists react uh, to some of the findings from that. Um, so let me now turn, uh, last but not least, to Maximo Torero, uh, the chief economist of FAO. Uh, Maximo, having heard these proposals, seems that both reducing on-farm post-harvest loss and reducing food waste at the retail consumer levels require not only multifaceted approaches, but also quite differentiated approaches uh, from context to context. So how would we bring those together into the broader UN Food Systems Summit uh, action agenda? And to put it more provocatively, should we specifically target uh, food loss and waste reduction or rather focus on improving the efficiency and sustainability of supply chains more in general? And on the, that on the one hand and on the other hand on influencing consumer choices at the same time. 
Maximo, over to you. Thank you, Rob. And let me uh, share my, my screen. I know I only have five minutes, but uh, I will try to keep in time. So uh, first, the first slide is basically showing something which I think is important, uh, opportunity. So we missed or, or we take the opportunity. I think up to now we have been missing the opportunity. But let me explain why, because the second part of your question is extremely important. Is this just an issue of food loss and waste, or is it an issue which is a lot bigger? And clearly, as we can see from here, uh, the food systems having extremely challenges to be able to achieve what we want. Uh, we have an enormous amount of people undernourished uh, that will increase with COVID-19, high child stunting problems that are leading to significant impact in the agri-food system and what we call trade-offs. Uh, so, and, and there is a lot of economic and environmental costs that run into the into trillions of dollars. So we are very far from achieving uh, SDG 1, SDG 2, and, and in our case, we also emphasize SDG 10. And, and the point is that we need to get here. Uh, this is where we need to get to levels of undernourishment, which are everywhere reduced to less than 5%. Healthy diets that has to be affordable for all. And overweight and obesity has to be reduced everywhere to the levels of 15%, similar to 1980s. So it's a significant problem uh, which requires focusing on stunting and children, uh, also recover the lost decade of poverty, of rural poverty that is being increased because of COVID-19, and looking at inequality, but also looking at the planet. Uh, we need to achieve a number of, of neutrality in carbon land degradation and increase efficiency in the use of water, agriculture, and we need also to hit the Paris uh, Agreement target of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So in this context, why uh, this is important? So we have 14% uh, on losses, and again, it's important the definitions, uh, and 17% on waste. No? Waste is retail to consumer, losses, post harvest backwards to, uh, to the producer, and, but 14% and 17%, enormous number. Of course, please be careful, we cannot add those yet because the denominators are different, so we need to be careful. But that's the situation, the situation today. Now, what this means in terms of all the trade-offs, it means enormous numbers in caloric footprint, in magnesium footprint, in blue water footprint, phosphorus footprint, carbon footprint, and land footprint. And I don't want to go through all of them, but, but I think it's important to realize by each type of the value chain or the different commodities, how important this is. And this is just the footprint for food losses, not waste. Okay, so this is a calculation of FAO on, on the sofa just for food losses. So, so this is something uh, crucial that we need to look at. And the case of, of, of losses is a triple win because you will improve food security and nutrition, more food will be available. Losses are the highest in high value commodities and it will improve productivity. And of course it will improve the use of natural resources and greenhouse gas emissions. But to be concrete to your question and, and where we need to, to, to focus. So first, I think we need to do a business case for food waste and loss. We cannot impose things to farmers, which are businesses, and also to consumers. So I think building up the business case is, is essential to be able to achieve what we want to, to achieve. Uh, and we have heard excellent examples from speakers on how this can be done. Uh, we are working, for example, also in, 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 in coal value chains, but more mobile and linked to warehouse systems to create financial institutions, working together with colleagues of IFPRI, but, but we, we are trying to, to push business case situations. We need to have cost-effective solutions and bring this up. But how, how we are able to do this, we also need to, to, to keep in mind the ambition. Also, we need to change the landscape that business operates, as you mentioned before. 
And this is really important because this affects governments, development banks, and private sector. We need to provide incentives for this to happen. And clearly, it's not just an issue of targeting food waste and loss. We know that the major reductions in food, loss, in food losses, especially, could happen just by improving infrastructure, by improving access to energy, by improving access to, uh, to, to roads, and improving access to local markets and so on. That will substantially reduce the effects that we are facing today. So that broader approach and targeting investments to try to attract the private sector, I think is central. And that's rural infrastructure. And also looking at intermediate cities, which is where more, more of the processing is, is happening. Another broader dimension that requires careful look is, is policies, uh, because we need to look at policies that are not only incentivize food loss and waste. And this is subsidies, for example, lack of standards. We have done studies with, with Luciana Delgado, Nakasone, on how to find solutions to the lack of standards and find mechanisms that will allow that. We also need to, to, to account the true cost to society of losses. People eat things, but they don't know what is the real true cost, and prices are not reflecting that. Also, we need to increase enormously the acceleration on data, innovation, technology, and complements. On, on data, we have done a huge effort to accelerate in the last years. Uh, working with Luciana Delgado and, and Monica Schuster uh, from IFPRE and from WWF, we have developed a new methodology to measure losses wearing the value chain and to include quality. FAO has also developed a significant progress in how to measure losses. Now NEP came with the waste, but we need to keep doing this and we need to find solutions which are easy to use. We also have to bring innovation and that's the digital technology which could help how we can link this to the financial systems and, and technology and also the complements, the institutionality behind Influencing the consumer choice will be central, but that's something that is complex. It's not easy. It requires regulations. It requires to change of legislation. FAO has a whole area on legal to try to do that, but we need to start to make people understand, and that's why the reason of my first two slides, that the problem that we are facing. So we need to create a change, a movement, a thinking differently. You know, we are developing the code of conduct on food laws and waste that will be approved, I hope, uh, in the next conference of FAO, but it's central that countries start to understand the problems, the definitions, and they start to put policies in place. If they don't understand that and they don't come into linking to the code of conduct, it will be very difficult. But also we need to inform consumers so that they change their behavior so that this works better. And finally, I think it's important that we act in parallel. It's not just an issue of developed countries' waste and developing countries' losses. I think it's clear that losses and waste occur in both places. So the policies that we are implementing should be implementing across the board and we cannot wait and put priority in one in one place and in the other. But it's also important to mention, and, and we, we did a huge review uh, on all the literature around in terms of what the technology being used for reduction of food losses and the number of cases that are successful and are cost effective are pretty, pretty small. Just looking at post-harvest technologies. So let's not believe that we have the solutions. We don't have them. That's why technology also plays a crucial role. And that's something that we need to look carefully. But right now, looking at thousands of papers and thousands of evidence, solutions are not there. And for smallholders especially. Drying technologies for smallholders unexistent. Okay, storage facilities not necessarily work properly. So again, we need to find and to work and to bring more evidence on what could work in the future. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you so much, uh, Maximo, uh, for this uh, broader perspective. Um, uh, so I think we're, uh, if I summarized in two words, we can be optimistic, but uh, we should not believe either that um, we have all the answers uh, ready yet. And so we need to work both on the evidence as much as on uh, pushing through the new solutions. Um, this. Uh, 
a very interesting set of interventions. So no doubt has raised quite a few questions already. We've got quite a few in the chat box. Um, before we get there, we'll do a little poll amongst uh, the entire audience to see what, um, what your views um, are. Uh, you should have received uh, information about the link to, um, to the poll. Um, it's, um, if I write it out, read it out, it's, uh, you can find it in https double slash app dot sli dot do, that's in slide, and then slash event slash thg mfiia slash live polls. I hope that all can remember it, but uh, hopefully you found that. So we'll start with the poll uh, now. So the first um, um, question for the poll is um, uh, what uh, should be the primary motivation of interventions to reduce food loss and waste? And the challenge part of this question is you can only choose one. And what you see is the primary motivation is that improving food availability and food security, improving food systems, environmental sustainability, and lower greenhouse gas emission? Would it be improving farm incomes uh, or reducing the cost of food? So you can vote now and we'll soon be able to see the results uh, soon. Okay, well, let's, uh, I think we have uh, quite a bit of response already. So people are still voting, but um, maybe we should close uh, this question now. Uh, what we're seeing is that uh, the first one got uh, most of the votes, 55% uh, almost, it's still changing a bit. And then the second one, 34%, uh, and the others are uh, not that frequently listed as the primary motivation. Um, okay, well, that's interesting. We'll see what the, also the panelists think about uh, that uh, motivation. Of course, many will... Also think, well, maybe we should do all of those four, but uh, the question was, well, what if you have to choose one, what's the most important one? Uh, and uh, the majority of you would say improving food availability and food security. Um, okay, then next one, you have a bit more choice. Um, uh, having listened to some of the proposals uh, made, and we've summarized a few options here, in order of importance, which three Proposed actions which you consider the highest priority for achieving major reductions in global food loss and waste. Um, would that be a one trillion global investment plan to reduce global food losses through investments in cold chain development, improve farm technology, better packaging, and other solutions to reduce on farm and post harvest losses? Number two, would it be activate the activists, as, as Richard was mentioning, establish a global network of activists? and best practices to promote consumer behavior change to reduce food waste and promote healthy diets. Number three, could it be in the 150 times 50 times 30 uh, campaign, 150 countries launch national public private partnerships and campaigns to reduce their food loss and waste by 50% by 2030. Four, invest in better integration and efficiency of supply chains, such better integration and supply chain functioning would then help to reduce food loss and waste and no need to specifically target food loss reduction. Five, invest in recycling of food waste for reuse and uh, in organic fertilizer, biomass energy and uh, other uh, recycled uses. And number six, develop and diffuse the use of apps to maximize the, the sale 
ordination of food, including uh, through food banks. So those are your six options. You can pick three and um, we'll uh, hear then uh, what is the, what the majority would say. Okay, responses seem to be um, sort of stabilized. This number one is the one trillion global investment plan to reduce food losses through investments in cold chain development and other improved uh, technologies. Uh, the number two, the 150 times 50 uh, times 30 campaign. And number three is invest in, uh, not actually, things have changed. So the, the last one I was going to mention is now number two, invest in better integration efficiency of supply chain. Okay, this is our initial poll. Um, let's um, now move to some of the questions already were raised um, during the uh, keynote speeches as well as uh, uh, during the panel discussion. Um, let me first uh, move with uh, but two questions that um, uh, relate to the um, innovations that uh, Namika and Jessica have been talking about. Um, uh, first is um, maybe for, for Jessica, uh, several questions there. So how, to what extent you've been extending uh, the um, commercialized uh, solutions uh, within also within the United States and working with USDA to expand this amongst uh, US farmers. Uh, and to both Namika and Jessica, uh, particularly to but Namika, that education is, uh, is key, you mentioned. Um, uh, and so since everything is going digital now, uh, what types of education uh, models would you have in mind in order to disseminate uh, the use of, uh, of your solar powered uh, cold storage uh, solutions um, and, and what it means uh, for different actors along the value chain. So let me start with these two and then uh, I'll move to uh, some other questions for uh, Richard and uh, Maximo. Over to you, Jessica first and then Namika. Sure, um, I can start with the question asking about our engagement with the USDA and farmers in the US. Um, so our product is a post-harvest um, technology. So it's applied at the packing house. So we, we do work with you know, farmers who are doing their own packing and we do have um, you know, some engagement with the farmers themselves to look at how the product can create value for them, but we're not necessarily engaged at this point in our business at the farm level directly. Um, I can let uh, Namika, if he wants to take a stab at the other question first. Yeah, Namika, go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I'm happy for the questions. Uh, with regards to what type of education that we are proposing, you know, at Code Hubs, we work with smallholder farmers, very small scale retailers and wholesalers of fresh fruits, vegetables, and other perishable food. And we deliver education that is well adapted in the local language using comics, uh, educational radio programs, and also sitting around to have a focus group discussion. Clearly, there is a role that uh, modern ICT we play uh, in delivering these educational components. But we try as much as possible to emphasize the use of old ICT, which most of the people we are working with are very familiar with. And old ICT is in the form of radio radio educational programs to improve their knowledge 
improve their skill set and enable them to adopt cold chain services. You know, cold chain is really new uh, for some of them. And it is actually going to be the game changer in reducing food spoilage in developing countries over the next 10 to 15 years. So significant investment is needed, large scale financing and large ticket sizes are needed to drive cold chain that is clean, the type that we are promoting in solar cooling, but also that ticket financing should also try as much as possible to deliver education. Thank you. Uh, maybe back to you, Jessica, also on the, the issue of, um, of education. The, um, to what extent would there be also need for education of, a, of consumers, but maybe also of, of farmers to adopt uh, the kind of solutions that you are proposing? Now, uh, education is a, has been and continues to be a large part um, of what we focus on at Appeal, especially with a product that is new to the market and many have not seen before. Um, so with consumers, and I know there was another question I saw come in about labeling too. I think it's it goes hand in hand um, because people need to trust um, what is on their food and they need to understand, you know, what what it's made of. You know, everyone has concerns about allergens and rightfully so, and really what they're putting in their body. And so that's a big part of why we do have labels on all of the produce that's treated with appeal. Um, there's always ways to get more information about the product. Um, and, and we think that's really important, not just to kind of passively do that and put the information out there, but also to, you know, create the right amount of engagement for consumers to make sure that they're getting the information they need, we're answering their questions um, to educate about what the product is um, and how it can benefit them. And then the same really goes with really any other actor in the supply chain. Um, there's, the product creates value at different stages. And so really helping a supplier or a farmer understand how the product can be used on their produce and how that can create value for their customers or for consumers to drive demand back through the supply chain um, is a big part of, of what we need to do at Appeal. And one of the tools that we developed very early on was these time-lapse videos that really just show how the product works versus the same produce without Appeal. And it was amazing to see how a conversation where you're trying to explain this theoretical edible coating that no one has heard of to all of a sudden showing someone a 30 second video, it really made it click in a way that accelerated a lot of those conversations and the education piece. Okay, thanks, uh, thanks Jessica. <clears throat> um, I have no, uh, uh, well, a set of questions for Richard and uh, Maximo. Um, uh, the first is that there's several questions that people raised about the uh, existing food waste, where that's typically going. And um, uh, Richard, you already mentioned, alluded to that, and also the minister alluded to that, sort of uh, the options for recycling of, um, of uh, wasted, wasted food. So the question is, what, what's the cost effectiveness of... Um, of recycling uh, foods that uh, that gets wasted at the either consumer level, but maybe also of uh, of food losses um, that happening at earlier stages uh, of the supply chain, and maybe related that so maybe sort of particularly um, maximum consumer into it. There's a couple of questions that ask: Well, is um, 
zero food loss and zero food waste, um, is that um, even a desirable option? And maybe as an economist, is it even is it a cost-effective solution, or is it just uh, a broader target to aim for? But maybe zero is is putting it a little bit in a territory that may not be. Uh, feasible. But so, so that's uh, two sets of questions. First, uh, to, over to you, Richard. Oh, thank you very much, Rob. I mean, I think what's the really interesting thing about food waste is the first thing we should be thinking about is preventing it in the first place, because that's going to give us the biggest environmental impact. And obviously, then if it's surplus food and it's safe to eat, we should get it to those who need it. So that those are the priority. And then actually, if we can get it back into the food system onto the industrial processing system, that's also fantastic. I emphasized animal feed as one way of going ahead because we, we, you know, we actually grow soya uh, all over the world in order to feed chickens and in order to feed fish. But if we can get a lot of that from um, uh, food that is currently being wasted, then that would be a real benefit. And only then really think about recycling technologies uh, under that. And if we, if we do it in that, that way, so I guess you could call it the food waste hierarchy, then those also tend to be the ones that operate as the most cost-effective. Prevention is very cost-effective. You get superb returns on investment. And then actually, as you go down, even putting it into a higher value market, people are likely to pay for food waste rather than having to be paid to take it away and recycle it. And the thing that is you know, just dreadful is just how much food waste goes into landfill particularly from that, from the consumption step, from uh, homes and from retail, from hospitality, food service, and even from the manufacturing chain around the world. And that's something we really must stop and move towards a more circular economy. And ju just to give you an example, one, of the, you know, one waste we used to have a great deal of in the UK was brewer's grains from making beer. And somebody came up with the bright idea of converting that into a, a dark, black, smelly paste which we call, and then they named it Marmite and they and, and sold it to people to put on toast. And it's delicious. I absolutely love it. That's a way of taking a waste and turning it into something actually high added value out the other side. So I think we can think much more positively and make uh, better use of what does waste does arise. Uh, thanks, Richard. And also thanks for not making propaganda for that product for Marmite. I'm also a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed there was a shortage because of COVID-19, because it's uh, yeast is one of the key uh, products, which is a byproduct of, of beer production, which, uh, yeah. which, falls, uh, which, uh, which declined quite a bit through mm. the closure of restaurants and cafes and bars and so on during COVID-19. Anyway, those, those are good, good examples. Um, Maximo, um, obviously with the same question, but may, may I ask uh, if you can also... Uh, try to figure in one more question since you talked about subsidies uh, and incentives uh, for reducing food loss and maybe also food waste. Um, so maybe you could also factor that into since the uh, much of the food chain is uh, depends on private um, uh, businesses. Um, so how would we incentivize them to reduce uh, food loss? As well as food waste. Over to you. Thank Mark. you. Thank you, Rob. Uh, and I think a lot of this was covering a special issue that we did uh, together uh, as a result of the sofa. Uh, so, so let me let me on the, on the food waste question and effectiveness. Let, let me separate in, in three buckets. There is, as it was mentioned before, the, the prevention that's central and that's very cost effective. It it will require behavioral change, of course, and it will require legislation change in some cases. That's why the legislation part is really important because of the standards issue and what can be consumed in how many days. 
but the behavioral change is really important because uh, we are we are not used uh, uh, to consume things that don't necessarily look good when sometimes they taste the best rather than the ones that look good. So I think that's that's the first bucket. No things that can easily be done and can imply significant significant results. And why is so important? Because we know that if we want to reduce emissions, for example, the products in the market are the ones that have the most emissions accumulated. So it's the best way to, to minimize the problem of emissions. The, 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 the second bucket is, okay, what, what that, that the things that will go to landfills, no matter, assume that we were able to change uh, behavior of consumers and so on, uh, and what to do, what would to do with those. And that's where the circular economy plays, plays a role. And there are different things. You can use Dubai products. There's significant experience right now in China and the US and other countries converting that food wasted into energy, for example, uh, and then converting the, the results into pellets of fertilizer. So there is a lot of innovation happening at large scale. Now, of course, that depends on the quality of what you are wasting, because to burn something to create the energy uh, is complicated. So the quality is important uh, of, of the waste that, that you're throwing. So in, in the poorest countries, not necessarily we will be able to do that, but in the richest countries, for sure, we can do that. Uh, and that's another byproduct. Then the other options is, okay, how we can use it for other processings and other uh, produced products. But one topic which is also important is the expansion of the shelf life. Uh, I think that is crucial and there is a lot of technology on that that, that, that can be used and, and can be very helpful. The second question on, on the zero food losses and zero waste. Uh, clearly zero is not the number here. Uh, the, the issue is that it's too high that we have to reduce it. But again, as I mentioned, the important thing is the business case. No? Because if you reduce losses for a farmer, that could imply that the farmer will have more supply available and that could affect, if it is local market, the, the income they get because they will be able to have a lower price and not necessarily the more quantity will, will benefit in the reduction in, in, in their profits because of a lower price. So again, the business case scenario, farmers are businessmen. We need to think in that sense, I think is central. And, and of course, the idea is to have targets which are realistic and as we move, uh, we will see how close to zero or close to five or close to 10%. But, but having in high value commodities losses of the level of 30% doesn't make any sense when we have a problem of, of healthy diets. The same, I think, applies to food waste, but food waste has a concrete target, which is 50% in the SDG. Losses doesn't have a concrete target. It's just reduction of losses. So we need to be very careful. And finally, on the incentives and the subsidies. The, the, the problem we have today is that we even have subsidies to loss basically to generate loss and waste because food is being subsidized in certain things and that creates incentive to don't care too much about it because it's, it's cheaper than it should be. And that's something that we need to, to assess and countries need to assess which are the policies that could be against the reduction of food waste and food loss. But also on the positive side, I think will be very important to create mechanisms that will facilitate uh, the reduction, especially of losses because in losses, uh, as we have been seen in, in the studies we have been working, uh, a lot of them are pre-harvest. We have focused a lot on the post-harvest and in the storage, but a lot of the losses occur pre to the post-harvest. And many of them is left in the field, for example, because of the quality of the seeds and so on. And that requires government investments to improve standards, to improve seed availability, to, to improve the technology that we are using. So again, we need to start thinking carefully where in the value chain this is happening and try to understand better why it's happening. And that's when we will get uh, better cost returns in terms of the investments. And normally we jump into a solution and we don't look at the whole process. Uh, plastic bags, hermetic plastic bags, many people talk about them, but if you don't dry the grain, it won't work. 
uh, and again, you will continue losing. And the same applies for high-value commodities. Thank you. <clears throat> well, thanks, Maximo. Very, very clear uh, on all of these uh, points. Um, I see uh, uh, Minister Prem is still online. Is uh, is that correct? Because I, if he wishes, I would like to ask him if he would uh, like to respond to also the question about food waste and the uh, options for recycling and how that uh, fits with the Danish uh, proposals on that front. Um, Minister, if you're still around, you, you have the floor to respond to that question. Okay, let me um, then uh, leave it uh, with the, the final uh, comments by Maximo since we're running out of time. Uh, let me thank um, Lemeka, Jessica, um, Richards and Maximo for uh, very short but very concise and I would also say inspiring um, uh, comments, uh, both pointing at that we do see many concrete solutions. Uh, we need to think them through well in terms of the complexities of the management of the supply chain. Um, and uh, we also need a lot more evidence uh, to um, understand what works well, what can be scaled up. But clearly we have uh, quite a few uh, starting points. And um, uh, last but not least, I would also like to mention that um, as IFPRI were quite engaged also with the UN Food uh, System Summit uh, preparations. Um, so to everybody, if you have uh, further suggestions on uh, what you see as important, uh, engage in some of the public meetings that will be held in preparation to the summit, but also feel free <clears throat> to contact me um, or others uh, on the panel to uh, try and influence uh, the discussions that are going on at the moment. So with that, thank you very much. And I'll give it back to Truls for the final part of this event. Thank you so much, Rob. And thank you to the audience for all the excellent questions. And again, to our panel for this insightful uh, conversation. And thank you, Rob, for the moderating. And thank you for being the mastermind behind this event. Rob and the IFPRI team did most of the heavy lifting, I have to say. Uh, bringing this event uh, about. And now I'd like to hand the floor to Craig Hansen from World Resource Institute for some concluding remarks. Craig, the floor is yours. Great, thank you. Thank you, Trolls. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this, for this event on this very important topic on the 12th of March, 2021, which as we always do each year is the day of SDG 12.3. Um, I've heard kind of three things in today's conversation with our esteemed panelists and speakers. One is ambition, and that we shouldn't forget the ambition that we all face, right? The STG, target 12.3, calls for cutting in half food loss and waste by 50% by 2030. Yet we live in a world where roughly one third of all food is lost and wasted. And 2030 is only 10 years away, right? So this is a bold ambition that we as a community and our audience has to achieve. Secondly, I've heard some hints of hope. And if you read the news recently, uh, I think there, are, there is evidence that traction can be achieved, uh, reductions can occur. Just you know, off the top of my head, for instance, we've seen a number of countries actually make dramatic reductions in food loss and waste. We heard it earlier from Richard, the UK, 27% from farm to fork uh, reductions. The Netherlands, Denmark, a few other countries are actually making measurable progress at reducing their food loss and waste, or at least their food waste. At the same time, we're seeing companies. We're now tracking a number of companies that have 
made reductions in their in their within their boundaries and starting now in their supply chains of more than 30%, right? Just over the course of three or three or so years. That's fantastic. It's too few companies, but it is happening, which should give us faith and hope that we can make success. We've seen advances in finance. I don't know if you saw, if you've checked your emails to just today, right? The company Rabobank, whose chairman is a member of Champions 12.3 Viva Dryer, they announced that they're launching an SDG 12.3 loan, where the recipient, the companies that receive this loan uh, would get a lower interest rate if the company actually reduces its food loss and waste. This is tying economic performance with financing. It's these types of innovations, right? And what we need to scale up to achieve the target we're looking for. Likewise, I wanna credit uh, Maximo and FAO here for the great work on improving knowledge on food losses with the Food Loss Index. I'd also recognize UNEP, whose executive is also a member of Champions 12.3, Inger Anderson, who just recently launched the Food Waste Index and the analyses I think that, F, that uh, Maximo actually showed, right? It's pretty fascinating now we're starting to get a grasp on really the food loss and food waste numbers here at the country level. So there's, there's optimism here. But I want to conclude by the call to action. We have just 10 years. Although some good things are happening, it is far too little relative to the scale of the, champ, scale of the challenge and, the, and, the, and all the benefits we could achieve if we actually were able to cut in half food loss and waste. And so I would encourage the Food Systems Summit really to challenge our community to come up with those small subset of true transformations that will help us to accelerate the progress uh, toward achieving 12.3. There needs to be something on business. How can we harness the movement of business already on this issue to take it fundamentally to scale on every country on the planet? Secondly, we need countries engaged. There have been a few leadership countries that really have captured this issue. But how do we get every country actually really putting food loss and waste reduction high on their agenda? It's good for the, it's good for the citizens, it's good for climate, it's good for food security. And finally, finance. Financing is the electricity that runs the world. If we don't get financing lined up with reducing food loss and waste, it's going to be hard to achieve the targets we need. So we need those innovations at scale and financing really to help us to achieve this target. So I leave with those three recommendations. I, I think we all should lean in and help make the Food Systems Summit a success and make sure that, that food loss and waste reduction is one of the big calls and big messages that comes out of this summit. Thank you very much. And back to you, Charles. Thank you so much, Craig. And as always, on the point, and thank you for those uh, inspiring remarks. I think we all leave here today with a lot of new insights, and I hope we can bring that forward with us in the month to come, and we will have a very successful uh, Food Systems Summit uh, in the fall. Um, this concludes today's special event. It's been a very interesting conversation for my part with many learnings. I won't repeat, but I think Craig just said all the very interesting uh, points. We have less than 10 years to reach the goal of reducing food loss and waste in half. And the clock is ticking. Um, but even as we are in a dire situation with COVID, as Craig said, there is hope, as we have heard today from governments, companies, producers, parts of the food supply chain, which are acting with speed and agility to, to adapt to the new situation and engage in a transformation for a more sustainable future. So in face of urgency, change is possible. And I think that would be my takeaway from today. So once again, thank you very much to all the speakers for your great contributions. Thank you for all of you who listened in. We are very sorry that we couldn't take more of your good questions. 
You've been a very active audience. Thank you so much for that. And I'm sure the conversation will continue uh, further on. Have a very good, uh, nice rest of your day. Thank you so much.